And so I'd like to um, offer some instructions. Can you hear me okay back there? Yeah, okay, good, thank you. So we continue um, developing in this foundation of the body. Body awareness. There's a beautiful um, lines from the Buddha that says that within this fathom long body, with its thoughts and emotions lies our world. Its origin, its cessation, the pathway to freedom, to Nibbana, is within this fathom-long body. This poet Martha Elliott says that our history is here inside our body. Our body is our storehouse of all of our learnings and thoughts and experiences. And so yesterday the instructions, guidance was bringing mindfulness to the breath, the breath in and the breath out. And today we'll equally continue with the breath but also expanding into other senses within the body, such as sounds, sensations, perhaps different senses becoming more prominent in the field of experience. Maybe experiences of seeing or smelling or tasting. And so expanding the awareness with the breath, but at times into the physical sensations or sounds or other senses. Experiencing how they arise and pass away. And so maybe just to offer a little bit of um, practice Letting awareness come to the ears and beginning to just bring attention to listening, to hearing, to sounds. Sounds in the room, sounds at times outside of the room. Other times perhaps inner sounds of pulses heartbeat, ringings in the ears. Listening directly in direct experience how sounds, they arise, they have their time that they're here, and that they eventually leave. On the most elemental of levels, there's the eardrum, there's the mind, there's the faculty of audibility. Just hearing, just sounds coming and going. 
So just settling into the ears and listening to sounds, being present. And there's no need, of course, to try to figure out the sound or to like or dislike the sound. Just this faculty of audibility, sound waves, sounds coming and sounds going, hearing meditation. gently withdrawing from sounds and bringing awareness into the sensations of the body. It's a wide range of different physical sensations from itches to aches, tingles, warmth, coolness, dryness, wetness, lightness, heaviness. So many different types of sensations coming and going within the body. And of course there is well the various touch points. Hands on the lap. The body sitting in the chair, the cushion. The upper lip touching the bottom lip of the mouth. 
the sense of the contact of the eyelids closed, feeling closed, so many different tactile qualities, sensations, experiencing them, feeling them directly as they arise and go away or shift and change, making the primary object now the mindfulness of bodily sensations, being present. Just sensations, this body is wired into the mind, this faculty of sensations coming and going, being present.
And now gently withdrawing from sounds and shifting to the eyes. Just for a little bit, even with the eyes closed. There may be the experience of colors, shapes, movements of all sorts. And so we can make seeing part of the meditation, just visual impressions coming and going and he actually was talking with an optometrist and this is called myopic phenomena. It's anatomical visual wirings that produce even with the eyes closed for some of us different movements, colors, shapes. No need to get involved in finding meaning to it but just visual impressions, part of the wiring. And experiencing, seeing, ever-changing, just like the sensations being felt, the sounds that we were listening to, the visual impressions, beginnings and ends, coming and going, seeing meditation.
And now gently withdrawing from seeing and just for a little bit bringing awareness into the mouth and experiencing taste, maybe lingering taste residing in the mouth from breakfast or brushing teeth or just the natural taste that's being experienced in the here and now, tasting. Of course, as you bring awareness into the mouth, there's the teeth in there, the tongue, the saliva, the lips, the jaw joint, all participating taste. Teeth rooted into the gums. And now withdrawing from tasting and shifting into the nose. And just experiencing if there's any smells. Experiencing this body, this fathom-long body, with its senses of sensations. Of course, these sensations are rooted in the bones and the muscles and the organs, the sounds and the ears. the eyeballs, the eyes, and seeing, 
the mouth and tasting, and the nose and smelling. And so in this day of practice, there's a couple of approaches that we could work with. And one is this anchor of the practice of the breath and keeping that as an object in the foreground. Unless something from the background, another sense such as sounds or sensations arise and they become more predominant, and letting that sound, for example, enter into the foreground and listening as it comes and goes, and then perhaps returning back to the breath again. Or if there's some interest in just making the sound or the sensation the primary object, you're welcome to just bring awareness and just making sound, for example, your primary object. There's a certain flexibility of awareness if another sense arises that becomes more prominent. We can just easily just meet it, experience it as it comes and goes, and then returning back to the primary object. It's good to have a primary object at this point to lean into, to ground upon. One of my teachers, Bokoku Sero, used to offer this instruction for the mindfulness of breathing as well, that I found to be very supportive. They offer guidance around bringing awareness to the nose as you breathe in and out and pinpointing that spot where you feel the contact of the breath as it comes in and goes out. And he used to say that just like a handsaw, when you place the teeth on the wood, and then there's the up and down motion that cuts through the wood so too this awareness of the breath at that point of contact as you experience the breath as it comes in and goes out. He would say it cuts away ignorance and brings knowledge. So you're welcome now just as we go into a little silence to work with this practice May we hold it with great kindness. Just offer one little teaching about holding with kindness. And it said that you can train a dog to sit, to lie down, to stay in a very rigid and tight way. And a dog will learn this, those commands, but often those types of dogs can become neurotic and confused. You also can train a dog to sit, to stay, to come with a lot of kindness. It will learn those commands 
and the dog often becomes confident and flexible. So I want to invite in the confidence and flexibility of training with kindness, being present. Thank you. And um, so again, just in a very concise way, you're welcome to stay with the breath as an anchor and then just being flexible if other senses arise at a more prominent foreground, background, something in the background becomes more into the foreground than just allowing and experiencing hearing or sensations of the senses and if there seems to be an inclination, an interest to just hone in on one of the senses to go deeper, you're welcome to experiment with that as well. But if all else fails, if you're feeling confused, not sure what to do, this is always the sign to come back to one object, such as the breath, since we've been training with that for a day already, to ground, to settle, to become present. So keeping it simple is helpful. Digging one well deep. And one of the things that I really love about retreat, and I like to try to remind myself in my day-to-day -day life as well, and there's a beautiful word that I love, maybe because I don't experience it so much. It's called unhurriedness. I love unhurriedness. And here in retreat world, we get a chance to be unhurried. We're learning to be content with what's here. But the quality of unhurri unhurriedness, the time to chew and taste and swallow food and to shower, to toilet, even putting on the socks, in a sense of unhurriedness. So I really um, invite that quality of unhurriedness into the practice, into our life here. There's a beautiful um, little journal note from Henry David Thoreau when he lived at Walden Pond for a couple of years on some land that was owned by his friend Ralph Waldo Emerson. So this is a little bit of some field notes of a day in the life of a hermit. He says, there was a time when I could not sacrifice the bloom of the present moment to any work, whether of the head or hand. I love a broad margin to my life. And sometimes in a summer morning, having taken my accustomed bath, I sat in my sunny doorway from sunrise till noon, wrapped in a reverie, 
amidst the pines and hickories and sumacs in undisturbed solitude and stillness. And it was only by the sun falling in at my west window or the noise of some traveler's wagon on the distant highway, I was reminded of the lapse of time. I grew in those seasons like corn in the night, and they were far better than any work of the hands would have been. This was not time subtracted from my life, but so much over and above my usual allowance, and I realized what the Orientals mean by contemplation and the forsaking of works. And for the most part, I minded not how the hours went. The day advanced, as if to light some work of mine. It was morning, and now it is evening. Nothing memorable was accomplished. But instead of singing like the birds, I just silently smiled at my incessant good fortune. There was a time when I could not sacrifice the bloom of the present moment to any work, whether of the head or hand. I love a broad margin to my life. So we've entered into the broad margin here. And so I really want to just support that sense of unhurriedness, attentiveness, presence, the qualities of kindness, So this training and supporting our confidence and flexibility, not the rigidness and eroticness. Training with kindness. Wisdom, wise effort. So thanks, and we'll have um, a few minutes here now if there's any um, questions from um, Dharma talk or the practice. And then I'll also explain a little bit about uh, the upcoming practice discussions and where they will be. Please. Um, I had a hard time seeing with my eyes closed. Mm -hmm. So I, when you said seeing, I was just taken back to mm -hmm. various times of my life. Mm -hmm. instead of really seeing. Mm -hmm. So the question is about not really being able to see anything other than it, it brought back memories of seeing things in the past, your past life. And, you know, what I've discovered is, is that some people easily see colors, shapes, and images, and some don't, and it has to do with the anatomical wiring of the eyes. And again, this is a phenomena, and it's called myopic phenomena. And actually, even as a child, how I would soothe myself to go to sleep at night is I would lie in my bed and I would watch all these colors and shapes and movements moving here and moving there. So it came very natural to me. And so when I began practicing with my teachers in Burma, that was one of the primary objects was seeing, and I just took to it very easily. But I've come to discover that others don't see things. And I'm just curious, how many here... Maybe you could just raise your hand if you see. Are you seeing? So it's about half. <laughs> and some don't. So if that is an object that's not suitable for you, my recommendation would be, um, you know, I would explore it for a little bit. 
And if there doesn't seem to be much coming up, is then just to shift to sensations or sounds. The object here is not necessarily to recall in the past visual memories of things, but what's actually in direct experience. And it's not even conjuring up an image or like a visualization of something, but just the raw experience of sitting, bringing attention into the eyeballs, into the eyes. And some of us have, and it doesn't mean that we're any better or any worse if we don't see something. It's just part of our anatomical wiring. Again, it's called myopic phenomena. If that is present, we can use that as an object in just experiencing visual formations and not getting into the stories of them, not trying to get meaning from them, but just experiencing visually how visual impressions rising and passing away, just like the sounds are coming and going, the sensations are appearing, disappearing in that way. Okay, thank you. Please. Mm-hmm. Um, I get maybe three things at the same time that I can focus on. And, um, is it okay to focus on three things? Like sometimes I'll get sound and I can do my breath at the same time. And, mm-hmm. But I can't. It's hard to just focus on one thing. Yeah. So... So the, the question is about it's hard to focus on one thing. Sometimes it's almost seemingly like two or three things, three things coming up at the same time. There might be a breath, there might be a sound. Difficult to focus on one thing. Just to look around the room, how many people are having challenges focusing on just one thing? Raise your hand. Look around. <laughs> so very, very common. And we are embarking in in a training, in a practice of training the mind to come back to that object. And it is manual labor. So my suggestion is to continue to work. It's like repetition. You know, you go to the gym and it's through the repetition that builds the muscle mass. And so through the repetition of coming back every time it went off, that's how we train. And, and again, the attitude of the training is important. There's a Christian mystic, St. Francis de Sales, and says that if your mind or heart wanders, bring it back quite gently. And if you did nothing for the whole of your hour, but bring it back every time it went off, which seemed like every other moment, does that sound familiar? He ends by saying your hour would be well employed. It's a very beautiful way I would be well employed this bringing it back again. So I would invite you to, to train with that. And sometimes it does almost seemingly feel like they're coming up simultaneously. But I'd like to investigate that. Is that as so you know, see what's there. So carry on. <laughs> May you hold it with great kindness. There's an old teaching story about a a Zen priest that used to say to do one thing at a time. And then one day um, he was found eating and reading. <laughs> totally busted. So the student said, you know, you said to do one thing at a time. And the teacher without batting an eye said, not a problem. When you eat, eat. And when you read, read. 
And when you eat and read, eat and read. <laughs> so we'll do the best we can. But sometimes that leaning in with one object really supports the steadying, but it is manual labor. But you might discover that as you apply that manual labor, gradually the forces of sustaining your awareness on the object grow stronger and brighter and, and perhaps in time a little lessening of that wandering and you'll through that practice you can grow and build it and hold it with great compassion. So thank you. Yeah. I think we'll pause here.